this is The SIP, the Smart Institute podcast, a show about communication and media research. In each episode, scholars and doctoral students from the Department of Communication at the Hebrew University discuss the most current and intriguing questions in their field. In this episode, Professor Tamir Shefer and Dr. Iran Salem will break down the elusive ingredients of political success. What makes a politician shine? Is mastering social media the key to political persuasion in today's communication environment? And does anybody still care about news coverage when politicians can simply address the public directly? Let's find out. Put on your earbuds and get smart. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. Hi, Tamir. Hi, Ran. And hello to Donald Trump for uh, helping us to start this episode of the uh, Smart uh, Institute podcast uh, with, with such uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, say thanks to Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is a, a, a great exemplar for all political communication scholars. Yeah, I think he made our lives easier as, uh, as political communication researchers, providing so many uh, interesting examples of uh, all kinds of things, but specifically communication. Yeah, so uh, since, actually, since both of us are both political communication scholars, but also uh, political science scholars in a way, at least I'm also sitting in the political science department, uh, from the, uh, uh, I think, political communication point of view, we all going to miss Donald Trump a lot. From the political uh, uh, side, in terms of aspects of democracy, the health of democracy, I'm not sure. Also in terms of style, right? So his politics is, is very controversial, but in terms of communication, do you think it would be fair to say that Donald Trump is a very successful politician in terms of communication? I think he at least brought a, a whole new style uh, and, and he managed to uh, very successfully, I'm not sure about successfully, but he managed to, to use very well the new tools of the uh, communication environment better than anyone else. Yeah, so I would say that he's very, very good at getting people's attention. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that people have to like him. Many people like him, many people dislike him. Uh, either way, they have strong feelings towards, towards him, like other leaders we know, maybe also from our region. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of getting that initial attention, I think he's, he's very good. Yeah. And I think this brings us to um, the topic we are discussing today in a very good way, uh, which is the communication success of politicians. This is not an episode about Donald Trump, but an episode about how politicians uh, speak, what actions do they uh, take in order to get people's attention in different ways. And specifically, we're going to focus on uh, media attention. Um, So that's one part of the episode. And after discussing what uh, helps politicians get media attention and media success, we're also going to discuss the next step after getting attention, which is uh, what I would call persuasion. So yeah. getting people to change their minds and change their opinions in the direction of that same politician who is speaking. Yeah, knowing that not any communication success necessarily leads to political success. This is a big, big issue. In one of the classes uh, recently in my uh, political communication seminar, uh, we discussed incivility. We're not going to talk too much about that, but this is one of the uh, ideas or concepts that, that people are studying or giving a lot of attention to today. And we gave examples from the Israeli context of people such as uh, former MK, member of uh, the Knesset, Oren Hazan, who got a lot of media attention and who was, uh, he's a, made many provocations. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone knows his name, right? But in the next election, after the 20th Knesset, he was not elected again. He moved from number 30 on the Likud list to number 46. Yeah, that, that's what uh, Professor Gadi Wolfsfeld, who was my dissertation advisor, 
some years ago, uh, he used to call it the backdoor entrance, uh, which was the entrance to the media of the politicians, uh, the weak politicians, politicians from the opposition or from minority groups. And in order to get attention from the media, they have to do extravagant, uh, use extravagant behavior that usually brought them to the media but in a negative uh, uh, light. Yeah, so in the short term, a lot of attention and public discussion of them and their actions, but in the longer term, um, not so much political success. Yeah. And I think we, we will touch some of those issues later on. We'll see that getting attention and being su successful politically on the long term are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Very often they are even opposites. Yeah. Yeah, let's know each other. Yeah, let's start <laughs> by uh, introducing uh, each other. So I'm, he I'm here with uh, Tamir Shefer, Professor Tamir Shefer. Um, Tamir is a full professor of uh, communication and political science at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem since, Tamir, 2001? 2002. 2002, so 18 years. Um, he's also the dean of the Faculty of Social Sciences at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He's, this year is his second term as dean, so fifth year and uh, three and a half more to go, right? Yeah. Uh, as dean, uh, he was also until very recently an associate editor of the um, political communication field's uh, flagship journal, which is political communication. Yeah, he studies uh, various topics related to political communication, media effects, uh, political behavior more broadly in the Israeli context, in the international arena and various other topics that mm -hmm. some of them we will uh, discuss today. And uh, Eran Amsalem, uh, Dr. Eran Amsalem, completed his PhD two years ago? A year and a half, yeah. A year and a half ago in the Hebrew University and in the University of Antwerp. I was one of his uh, uh, excellent uh, dissertation, advisors of his excellent dissertation, and the other one uh, was Professor uh, Stefan Wolgrave from uh, Antwerp University. And he's a, a faculty member at the communication uh, department here at the Hebrew University since uh, last year. His research focuses on uh, political communication, uh, political persuasion, and uh, political psychology. His research looked at how politicians speak in terms of how complex or simple is their, uh, the language that they use, and what are the effects of language simplicity on voters. Yeah. Okay, so now after we've uh, introduced uh, each other, let's start uh, going in more, in more depth into the topic that we are discussing today. And we're going to start with uh, media success. Um, and to do that, Tamir, I think first we maybe need to go back a little bit in time and try to understand uh, this idea that I know from your early research that you conducted on your own. I, I know that COM research paper from 2001, but also research with your advisor and another distinguished political communication research, Gadi Wolfsfeld, um, about an actor-centered approach to political communication. And maybe we can start, you can start by telling us what does it mean, an actor-centered approach, and how is it different from other approaches to studying political communication. Let me tell you a story. Before starting to work on my uh, dissertation, I was um, I made a living from being um, a media consultant to politicians, to Israeli members of, uh, of the Knesset. And even before that, I worked while doing my BA at UC Berkeley. I worked in the office of uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, and, and during all that time, while working with politicians and trying to uh, push them into the media, I asked myself what, what made one politician being in the media and uh, uh, another one not being able to, to make it into the media. And I, uh, I heard a lot of whining of politicians, of members of the Knesset, who uh, came to me uh, um, saying something like, hey, I pay you a lot of money, which I didn't, but they argued they did. <laughs> I pay you a lot of money, and why I'm not on the front page of the paper? And then 
that what led me to, to uh, led my, focused my interest in what I called actor-centered uh, 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 research. What there is in the actors themselves, the politicians themselves, that makes them more newsworthy. I think that most of the research that I knew when I worked on my dissertation looked at what the media need. We know it from Galtung and uh, Ruger's uh, news values, list of news values. Uh, so we knew what the media need, but it's not enough. I wanted to know what are the differences or what there is in the politicians themselves that uh, uh, makes them more or less newsworthy. And actually, this is something that, after that, uh, you took it forward in a paper that we uh, have together, and I think in another paper that you did without me, uh, about even, looked even deeper into the big five, but, but you'll tell us about it. Yeah, so we will get to, to that uh, a bit later. We'll get it about later, but, but then I, I, I was interested in that something that is vague, that make a politician more, uh, a person more newsworthy. And that led me to, uh, uh, to focus on what I called charismatic skills. Specific set of skills that are inherent in the uh, politicians and in the uh, behavior of the politician that uh, uh, make him or her more or less uh, newsworthy. And that's, that led my, it, it kind of, I remember myself when thinking about my research as a PhD student and seeing kind of uh, uh, that, that I'm holding a, a video camera and looking and, and, uh, at all the research before me and, and, and saying, okay, this research, it, it's someone hold the video camera from outside the politician and look at the arena. What I want is to take the video camera and, and stack it in the head of politician and look outside. And, and that's, that's, what, my, that's what, what led my research. So the way I see it, uh, tell me if you disagree, uh, one of the contributions of, <coughs> of that approach to the study of politics, uh, other than um, shifting the focus from what media needs to what politicians need to do, is also uh, advancing the study of uh, how we understand political processes. Because uh, there is so much research for many decades, I would say, uh, so many studies uh, for so many decades <clears throat> focusing on institutions, right, on political parties, um, par uh, uh, electoral systems, um, parliaments, government actions in the national international arena. And this is excellent research with awesome and with great insights. But the shift to an actor-centered approach looks more closely at politicians as individuals. So yeah, and, and actually that, that was led actually for uh, uh, my second big uh, field of research, which was political uh, personalization. Actually, thinking about it now, I should have started from political personalization and then moved to actor center or, or to focus on, on individual politicians. But as it happened that after focusing on the politicians, I, uh, I took a step back and and ask myself, okay, what happened in the long run? And is there a change? Because I, what I saw is, is a process where the charisma of politicians, of individual politici politicians, seems to, be, to become more important as time passes. So I, I did a research. The first one was with uh, Gidi Rahat and uh, uh, Professor Gidi Rahat from political science here at the Hebrew University, and then other colleagues uh, join in, uh, Shaul Shenav and uh, Meital Balmas, to look at, um, at long-term processes of personalization. And we saw that in Israel, politicians, individual politicians, become more important over time, while um, political institutions, such as political parties, become less important, both in the media and in the heads of, um, of voters when they make decisions. And then I took it also to, to look at it from a comparative point of view with several research that I did with uh, my colleagues in the NEPOX group, which is a group of uh, about 15, 16 scholars from 15, 16 European countries. Uh, I did an article led by uh, uh, Peter van Elst and, and, and uh, other colleagues uh, about that from a comparative point of view. 
And what does this idea of personalization and also charisma uh, imply that politicians need to do in order to be successful in the media arena? What are the implications? One central implication is that, uh, let me say, two central implications. One, they have to act much more as uh, individual actors, uh, not binded by rules of their bigger group, of the party. Um, and that's something that is very bad for democracy. Why is that? It's bad for democracy because if you look at, at a political system like Israel, all, all parliamentary democracies uh, are built on uh, the centrality of political parties. If each politician will behave like he or she are not binded by any rule, you can't, you can't have such... I mean, you can't run politics in this way. You have a mess, everything becomes more extreme, uh, more hectic, and democracy uh, will fail. And this is what I'm, what I'm afraid about, what I see, the, the process of, of political personalization. I see it uh, in, in the paper that uh, Gidi Rat and myself uh, uh, published about that. We, we talked about the threat for democracy from such a process. Um, another thing that politicians, uh, uh, that the media becomes much, much more central. Uh, because if they act uh, more as individuals, and they have to be elected in uh, in primaries in the, their parties. Then they have to be known. They have to be better known, and they are, they are becoming better known via the media. And in order to be in the media, they must behave in a way that we talked about before. They have to get crazy. In line with what in, the media in, want them to do. In line what they think that the media yeah. want them to uh, 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 to do. So their behavior become more extreme, and they end to be Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, in order, many to people say that he would not have been elected if not for this new media environment that we're in. I'm sure that Donald Trump could have; he wouldn't have any chance to be elected as president of the United States 20, 30 years ago. But in the same line. You know, think about uh, an Israeli prime minister like Itzhak Shamir, who was uh, in the uh, prime minister in the 80s and, and the beginning until 91, 92. He wouldn't be able to, to be elected today at all. So uh, uh, time changes. And time changes in a way that politicians must uh, uh, fit their behavior more and more to uh, uh, the media requirements or the media's rule of games, of the game. Uh, and politicians that can't learn how to do it or are not born with the capacities to do that, they simply uh, they don't survive in politics. So it's probably some kind of a combination between, I guess, between um, their dispositions, their abilities, what they come with into politics, maybe their experience as, I don't know, some of them are lawyers, journalists, these mm -hmm. people are probably uh, more able or have the greater potential to become great communicators, but some of them are not. And um, for, for, from what you're saying, I think we understand that uh, politicians who are, don't have high abilities or don't want to learn from one, for one reason or another are not very likely to be politically successful. Be, yeah. to have communication success and as a result it's not the same thing but of course it's related if you're uh, successful as a communicator you're much more likely to be successful as a politician yeah indeed especially when in political parties where you have primaries actually this is why i'm not crazy about primaries in in political parties because that's push in more importance to the media might go to you, Iran, about uh, 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 your uh, research. So, so why don't you tell us a, a little bit about how politicians now use language in order to make it into the media? 
Yeah. So um, first of all, well, this is work that we did together initially when I was still a PhD student. Uh, I started, we started by uh, trying to go uh, in more depth into understanding who are essentially, uh, fundamentally, who are those politicians who are uh, were successful in terms of communication and media attention. Um, and the idea was to take this uh, concept of charismatic skills or charisma more generally and try to go uh, uh, one step uh, deeper into understanding those people by looking at their personality traits. And in this research, uh, we are uh, studying politicians. We actually interviewed politicians as part of a uh, a project uh, funded by the ERC, which I did most of my PhD as part of. Um, we went, well, there was a team of researchers uh, interviewing politicians and surveying them in the parliament with in face-to-face -face meetings, asking them all types of questions about their preferred information sources, about um, their decision-making styles, all kinds of policy positions, and also about their personality, personality traits. Uh, and we uh, used the conceptual framework of the big five. Uh, I guess we will not go in, in depth into what that exactly is, but basically this is a model uh, that argues or even shows that a lot of the variation between people in their deep-seated predispositions can be understood with five uh, personality dimensions or five core traits. Uh, and among those traits, for example, how, are how uh, extroverted a person is and the other side of that dimension is introversion, being in, an, an introvert. Uh, also agreeableness, a person who is more uh, cooperative um, and good-natured versus a, someone who's low on, on uh, agreeableness, who um, tends to, can even manipulate others, who tends to be more conflictual and so on. So these are people who are, these are the bad guys. Uh, and we can think about some of those in politics. Uh, and so on. So, so there are five such traits. And we had data on hundreds of politicians from three countries about their personality. We combined that with a data set that we collected about their media uh, success, so how frequently they appear in the news media, and news media broadly. So that's news websites, newspapers, uh, TV uh, news, um, and I think that's it. And we looked at these relationships, and we find that personality, when you control for many other alternative explanations, such as seniority, age, gender, all kinds of things that we know influence um, or determine media success, we see that above and beyond those explanations, the core personality traits of politicians um, determine their media success. So what exactly? Yeah, so uh, extroverts, maybe this is unsurprising, but it's still very interesting, I think, to show that extroverted politicians, they both have greater motivation to be covered. These are the people who, who are talkative, energetic. This is they, Donald Trump, right? Very extroverted, yeah. yeah. Very, very extroverted. Um, not all politicians are that extroverted, but on average they tend to be rather uh, extroverted, but there's still variation between uh, politicians and those who are extroverted want more coverage and are also probably, you mentioned newsworthiness, they're probably more newsworthy. They, they are better speakers, better communicators, and get more media attention. In terms of agreeableness, the second trait I mentioned, the, the, we see the opposite. So the, the nice guys, there's this uh, very, I think, interesting sentence saying that nice guys finish last. And some people say that this is the case in politics as well, which is dirty business, right? Uh, and we show that this is the case uh, in terms of media success as well. So the nice guys, those who are cooperative, have harmonious relationships with, other, with others, um, don't get much media attention as the bad guys who get into battles and conflicts and the provocators who manipulate others and get into fights. Uh, the media like those, uh, those people, the, the latter. So we, we, we show here that it is also the very deep personality traits that predict uh, who, who is successful in the media. So it's not only their uh, behavior or their willingness to learn new techniques maybe or to form relationships with, with journalists. It's also something that is formed earlier, even very early in life, that they come to politics with. They already have it. But still, uh, uh, I think something important that we saw that in, in that research that we did with uh, Stefan Walgrave, uh, uh, Stuart Soroka, and Peter Lowen, is that and Alon Soizner, and, and Alon Soizner, uh, uh, which is another uh, 
PhD, ex-PhD uh, student of mine, now Dr. Lon Seisner, uh, we saw that it, it's not the same in all countries, right? So the political system plays, uh, plays a role here, right? It was in a way. kind of consistent across, uh, across countries. So uh, this is a study that we, we did together with uh, Alon, uh, Peter, Stefan, uh, what we just mentioned that was also published in uh, communication research. Uh, and it also deals with the first topic that we are covering today, which is who is successful. So those with rhetorical skills, those with, um, who have good relationships with other journalists, um, those who act independently of their party, those with certain personality traits, these are the people who are successful. But being successful in the media or gaining media attention is not enough, right? So you can be, we get, we, um, I, we, I mentioned the Oren Hazan um, example earlier, but of course it's not only him. You can get a lot of attention. Everyone knows what you think. Everyone knows who you are, but still not be so politically successful. And this takes us to our uh, second topic today, which is political persuasion or political influence more, uh, more directly. So media success does not transform directly to political success. And this is something that I think we, we, we should emphasize from, from the start because while uh, um, people are talking a lot about, uh, about the media uh, during election campaign and uh, that how decisive is, is the media, we as political communication scholars know that um, it's not that strong. Not any article about you during the campaign transformed to a person that see that uh, article or watch that uh, news item on TV and uh, he or she decided to vote for you. Uh, it's much more complicated. Yeah, yeah I think this, uh, first of all, connects us to a broader theme in uh, political communication and political science research in recent years. Uh, there, there's been research on political persuasion for a very long time, and I think there's more research into that in recent years. And one of the, let me start with our conclusion and then we'll get into more details. One of the conclusions is that it is very hard to persuade people to change their minds on political matters. So people tend to stick to their beliefs. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean, of course, that it's impossible, but it's not as easy as many people uh, think. So if you take a Trump speech or Netanyahu speech or any other politician who's uh, writing a post on social media or, in or getting interviewed and trying to, well, mo maybe mobilize people to go out and vote uh, or change their minds on some issue, for example, do you go... Uh, join the protests against the government and against Netanyahu, or do you stay at home, um, and so on. So th there's this tendency to think that politicians are very powerful communicators who just need to say the right things, and they can basically achieve anything. And what this research shows, and some of the studies we'll talk about uh, in, in a moment uh, show, is that this is not always the case. It's not impossible, but it's also not that easy. I think a basic premise in, in political persuasion is that we're not tabula rasa. We already have political positions. So any new information that comes from the media, from politicians, via any uh, other uh, channel, that, that any new information that we get blends in our, in our brain with existing information. So uh, if you and I will hear the same speech, we can make different things out of it. We can understand it in a different way. And that is a Rashomon uh, uh, way, that each one sees the same event from a different point of view, and that affects how he or she understands and what they make out of this information. I think another thing, even a broader way to look at it, is that politics comes first. Is that, that's something that... Uh, uh, it's a book that I'm now working on, almost completing with Gary Woolsfeld and Scott Altus, about the idea that politics is more important than the media. The media is decisive in a way that when politics is close between in political competition, when two camps 
or several camps are, are really close in, in a political competition, the small changes that the media can make are decisive. Therefore, no politicians can afford ignoring the media and we'll get to the new media soon. But, but politics, ideology, basic ideology, partisanship. Uh, uh, partisanship, they are more important than that. Yeah. So why don't you tell me about the, uh, um, your studies that are specifically relevant to hear about the simplicity of uh, politicians' speeches, uh, about how politicians try to fit their speeches or in what way to, uh, uh, to what they think that the public want and what are the the effects of that yeah so this is uh, the this the simple rhetoric thing is one out of i think a broader agenda uh, or a series of studies that i've been working on and still am working on uh, in relation to political persuasion specifically how politicians speak in public in their speeches interviews social media posts and so on uh, how do they attempt to persuade people to change their minds on political issues and how successful that is. And to do that, what I do and I think what most people in this field of study do is design experiments, usually survey experiments, where you try to keep as much as possible constant. So it's the same speaker, the same message, the same political topic and so on. And you only alter that specific variable that you're interested in. And if you have differences between experimental groups after that alteration that you uh, conducted, um, then you know that the difference is probably because of that. I think the best way to understand that is with an example. And we can, I can give an example from that simple rhetoric uh, idea. And this is something that I did, I think it was published 2019, so two, three years ago, uh, I completed that, that study and I'm working on extending it. I can say a bit more about that uh, after, but generally the starting point for that study was this assumption that, that there's this KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. The idea that if you want, and it applies, I think, to different domains, but specifically in politics, there's this idea that politicians, media and politicians, but we're focusing on politicians, should speak simply, should keep it simple and have very short, clear, concise messages if they want to influence uh, the public. And there's, uh, there was this notion, this is how I got to studying it. There was, there was this notion that politicians do it. We know that they do it. They, speak, they tend to speak simply and the tendency to do that increases over time for different reasons. But there's also an assumption which is not tested that this is very effective. That if only politicians could speak very simply and clearly and in a unidimensional short way, uh, they would be very successful. They would be able yeah, to change people's People will easily minds. get it and vote for them. Yeah, right? yeah you, you, it's hard to. It's, it's easy yeah. to understand, and you, you you understand that easily, and you support that politician. Uh, you change your mind, um, and you found that it's not quite. Yes. So, so I, there was this assumption. I read it in different places, in studies, and in the news articles, and so on. Uh, but it wasn't tested. So I designed an experiment. What I did was uh, take a sample of this was conducted in the U.S. context. Uh, sample. Uh, people from the U.S. population, the voting age population, divide them into three groups. Uh, the three groups got um, messages on immigration. Uh, immigration specifically, but I think almost any political issue by definition is at least two-sided, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a political issue. There's one side to the issue, the other side of the issue. For example, there's a liberal stance about immigration in the U.S., but maybe elsewhere as well, saying that we should make life easier for Im illegal immigrants, right? They, they call it a path to citizenship, this idea. And it has some potentially good consequences. For example, it can be good for the economy, but it also has, has some potential negative consequences. For example, if you legalize those people, you may encourage more people to try and come into the country illegally. So there are two sides at least, right? This is a simplification. So I, one group in that experiment got only a politicians su supporting the, everyone got uh, a message supporting that idea of path to citizenship, but the messages differed in how complex they are in terms of uh, cognitive, uh, in terms of thinking about the issue. So one group got a message which is only, which is one-sided. We should do it because it's good for the economy, ignoring the other side. Another group got a message mentioning the second idea, uh, the, the, the opposition to that message, but rejecting it. And the third group, the more complex message was 
kind of an integration of those two perspectives. So the politician still supports that view, but says we should do that. It might be good for the economy, but we should also be careful because it might encourage people to come here. So this is, uh, I think, uh, what I tried to do there to do was demonstrate more complex uh, thinking about political issues. And if that assumption that simple rhetoric is so effective is true, um, then we should expect people in the first group to be most supportive of that view. But what my experiments find is that this, this is never the case. So it's, it's just not helpful. Citizens, my conclusion from that study is that people are aware that this issue, they know this issue, they have an opinion about that, and most of them probably are aware that it has two sides, that it's more complex than, than that. And when a politician ignores the other side, they, they just don't buy it. But and it's then, very consistent. But then there are two, two problems with that. First of all, it's, it's exciting uh, uh, and very important finding, of course, because it's very important for democracy. Because we want politicians to talk like that, right? To present all options of both uh, sides. That's very important for citizens when they are coming to make smart political decisions. But if to relate to what we were talking about the media, the media like it yeah. in a different way, right? The media like it one-sided, very simply, very sharp. And secondly, so, so relate to that. And another thing is that's not how Donald Trump was talking, right? Donald Trump is one-sided, uh, maybe uh, uh, denouncing the other side, but basically one-sided. It's very simple. Uh, very simple. And at least everybody thought until these elections that, that he was very influential, very successful in influencing uh, people. And even in the, these elections, uh, he got uh, 70 million votes. So he was much more successful than people thought. I, I think this is a very interesting point. And it touches, I, I think it's essentially, it is essentially a question of causality. So you see a person elected, such as Donald Trump, but politics is so chaotic and so complicated and when a person gets elected, such as Trump, but others as well, there are so many different reasons for that. And I think what this study does is isolate one such effect and, and show that effect and shows that um, if you hold everything else as a constant, changing the communication does not contribute to success. And there's also research um, now, recent research about incivility, for example. We know that Trump is very uncivil. He uses very harsh language, derogatory language against mm -hmm. his opponents and people think that this is helpful and if it's not helpful with uh, like effective for him to get support and even if it's not effective uh, for him among the entire public in the US at least among his base right the strong supporters but what these studies show is that even that is not true so well, it's not it? helping him it's even hurting him so, so to use the, that language this, I think this finding is extremely important for our listeners uh, and for democracy because Hey, listen, uh, Donald Trump was successful when, when he was successful. And he, even in the la these last elections, he lost, but, but he was still very successful. He was successful not because he used incivil language, but despite. not because he humiliated uh, his opponents or, or several minorities in the country, but despite of that, despite. he was successful because of other issues. Yeah. Issues of identity, issues of, uh, well, other, other things that are happening in American politics, old politics versus new politics. He was an outsider. He spoke to people's hearts in different ways. He was able to maybe invoke very strong emotional reactions. Um, so it's there, are not so that. Many, there are so many different yeah. things. And at least from my research and other studies, I think, that have similar conclusions with other uh, designs and variables, it's not that. It's not that easy, and people generally dislike it when a politician speaks in a way that is too simplistic, too uncivil. And I don't know if you have the time for that, but there's also a study I'm working on now on extreme, what we define. To, uh, I'm working on that with Alon Soizner, and we define uh, extreme rhetoric. We extend this idea of simplicity, and based on psychological research, we define extreme rhetoric as communication by politicians politicians that uh, shows intolerance, so derogation of the other side, seeing the other side as illegitimate, uh, overconfidence, and Trump, I think, is very good at that. As he, he believes that 
overconfident people in general believe that they know much more than they actually do, uh, and cognitive simplicity, which we already discussed. And we show people that rhetoric, and again, maybe with that assumption that is, it is very effective, and we get to pretty similar findings overall. It's not effective when a politician violates norms uh, in their communication, people respond to that in a, well, they either don't change their minds or they even, it can, it can backfire. So mm -hmm. they can even become more moderate and distance them, themselves from that speaker so because they perceive this as a norm violation and they don't want to be identified with a norm violating representative. So this is something that we definitely want our politician to know. I don't think they know it. They, they're not, they're, they're, for sure, they don't know it. And it's important for them to know uh, because uh, it's something that is really dangerous for democracy. Uh, and it's something that is polarizing the society. And that's something that a trend of polarization that we see that a lot of research also in our, among us, uh, research about polarization, the effects of polarization, uh, but, but we won't get to that yeah. now. This might, might suggest that that one of the culprits of polarization is the media. Yep. Because politicians probably do that because it gets them people's attention and media attention. So in the short term, they get to more people, they get greater exposure, but it's not sure to be... So you can't really tell that it's effective. Yep. Uh, it's not good for democracy, but it's not even effective for them in the longer run. We haven't talked at all about uh, uh, the biggest actor in the uh, field, which is the new media, the social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that direct communication of, from politicians to, to the public, how what we were talking about until now are changing, if they are changing, in this uh, era of new media? So I think there is a tendency, maybe it's a more general tendency that we have as humans or as commentators on society, to think that when such a, when technology changes, everything changes. There are these very these uh, sweeping uh, claims about politics is not what it used to be, and everything now is different. And I think that these claims may have gone too far because, of course, social media changes a lot. But I'm not sure it changes. Well, it's, not, it, it's not changing everything, and I'm not sure it changes the fundamental principles of how to get people's attention. So even if it's not with a journalist. Then on social media, a politician, for example, who knows, who has who have dramatic skills, right? They know how to tell a good story. So instead of telling that good story to a journalist, they would, will tell that good story on a, on a social media post. Or in terms of rhetoric, if exposure to persuasive attempts from politicians before was only, for example, by watching a speech on television, now you can watch a video on that politician's page, but... So you say that it did not change fundamentally the way politicians communicate with the public. It changes a lot, of course, because they don't have to rely on journalists as mediators anymore, and they can simply um, send their messages and, and communicate directly with the public. But in terms of catching people's attention and changing their minds, it's an empirical question. I don't think the research has answered that yet, but I think... One of the ways, the, the um, places where it's going is that the principles of persuasion are probably not that different because people read a text in the newspaper or on social media, they see a speech on television or on social media and so on. And I think one more point, important point here is the fact that on social media, politicians speak mostly to their supporters, which of course is very important. They want to mobilize the base, but very often they don't get to broad audiences from the other side. Mm -hmm. And this is something that media coverage can give them, right? And, and actually, I, I totally agree with that. And actually, I think that if you look at the amount of people that, and, and let's, let's talk about Donald Trump, who has a lot of fo followers. He's a politician with the highest number of followers in the world. But even he does not have enough followers on Twitter and Facebook to making being elected. And I think that he using a lot of his social media communication, mostly Twitter, to get media attention, to get the attention of the older uh, media, of, of uh, newspapers, yeah. of television. That's uh, a way to communicate not only to his followers, but maybe mainly sometimes to journalists. Yeah, so this is, I think, 
I think there's research on that now about coverage of what politicians say on social media. So this is a way for them, if, if they would do that before, for example, in a speech in parliament or a press conference, and what they were saying might have been covered in the media if, it was, if uh, journalists would deem it to be interesting enough. Now that coverage focuses very often on what they say on social media. So yeah, that's, there, there's this... Uh, kind of a process where they say something on social media that gets to the news media, uh, maybe broadcast nationally, and, and that way uh, it gets to a broader audience. I'm looking at Trump's uh, Twitter page now. He has uh, 80, 89 million followers, which is a huge amount, a huge number, but uh, how many people voted? I think 140, 70, 70 million 70 votes for him. For him. Yeah. yeah, and for Biden, uh, I think maybe 3 million more. I'm not sure about the numbers but about 140, maybe 150 million. Uh, so there's much more that politicians need to do and many more people to talk to outside the, their followers. Yeah. By the way, many of those followers probably are also people from outside the US. Yeah, like me, so, for instance. Yeah, I stopped uh, following you. <laughs> I, I get the Trump's tweets every morning and uh, I see him sitting in his bed and uh, uh, writing tweets and uh, sending it to me here. And sometimes it's not easy to read. Before uh, concluding this chapter, Tamir, there's one more issue that uh, I would really be happy to hear what you think about. So we discussed uh, communication success, uh, media success, but also success in persuading people. And as political communication scholars and maybe communication scholars more generally, we have this tendency to think about communication and media as is the most important thing in the world. It's so important, it is crucial, you can't succeed without it, and so on. And I think we already mentioned that communication and media and persuasion are very important. But it's not the only thing that's important, and some people would even dare say that it's not that important because other factors also weigh in when uh, thinking about people's political decisions, who they vote for, uh, which politicians they support, which parties they support, and so on. Uh, so how, how, how do you think about this issue? How important is communication and media compared to other factors? Uh, well, uh, I think that uh, uh, politics is much more important than uh, communication. The book that uh, uh, Gadi Wolfsfeld, Scott Altus, and myself uh, are writing talks about the idea of PMP, politics, media, politics. Politics, everything starts from politics that affects the media and the media itself, the way it covers politics has a consequent effect on, uh, on politics, on, on, on people and on the behavior of politicians. But the political world is much more important than the media. It determines the rules in which media are functioning. Think about very simply about how the media looks in China, in Russia, in North Korea. It's really binded by uh, the rule of, of the political world. It does not, it's not free. So they, they cannot act freely and then they, they can only act based on the directives of, of politicians. So politics is much more important. So uh, if we take this to the individual level, right? Uh, because I think what you're mentioning is the system level, mm -hmm. media system, media rules of the game, what uh, kinds of behaviors media allow politicians to, to engage in. But at the individual level, their attitudes, political behaviors, voting decisions, and so on. I think some people might argue that communication is important, media is important, but Especially today, when everyone is talking and are right to do so about polarization, uh, there are issues of identity that perhaps there is evidence showing that takes precedence mm -hmm. over, uh, over what politicians are saying, how the media cover politics. So people have very strong uh, ideological beliefs and party identification that sometimes even can blind them. So people even ignore facts. You can see that, for example, around the climate change debate, right? There's, there's now a lot of research dealing with that. So providing people who, are, who deny that the climate uh, change is happening or that humans have an effect on that. So I, they ignore yeah. facts. They ignore the scientific consensus on that issue. And they, they cling on to their predispositions, their yeah. beliefs, because they perceive this as a threat to their identity. In these in instances, 
um, communication might be meaningless. So it doesn't change people's attitudes because of polarization or because of strong uh, identity politics. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that even if we see a trend over time that media become more important and that individual politicians become more important still, the uh, basic uh, uh, political beliefs, ideology of, of individual people, they are more important. It's very difficult to uh, go far away from the tree that you were born, from your family uh, beliefs. So you have, if, I, if I remember correctly, you have this thesis that you can explain a lot of the variation between people in how they vote, for example. You can ignore media, the media they consume, the politicians they follow on social media and so on, and simply look at their, for example, level of re how religious they are, their ethnic origins, um, where they live, their social economic status, and that determines a lot. Yeah, right? in Israel, uh, uh, you know, I can predict, I, I would say, I don't know, to, to be 70% right yeah. about uh, predicting the, uh, uh, the block vote, not yeah. the party vote, but the block right or left uh, 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 vote of, of Israelis by simply uh, asking them how religious they are. If they are um, uh, not secular, if they are traditional and to the north toward religious, they are most likely uh, uh, to vote for the right block, for a party from the right block and vice versa. If they are secular and they are Ashkenazi, they are most likely to vote for a party from yeah. the center and left regardless of the media. So this is maybe a moment of humility for us. So we. Yep. believe and our studies show that communication is important and media coverage is important and persuasion can happen but, but politics of course comes first, first yeah politics comes first and communication and media is not the only thing that's important it's more complex than that yeah Around that uh, it's time for us to end this conversation, which I enjoyed a lot. Actually, we ended it in, in a time where uh, Donald Trump already um, is willing to leave the uh, White starting House. to realize, so starting to realize that he has to leave. But we know that he's gonna stay around. He's probably gonna declare that he's gonna run again in uh, 2024. So uh, we know that we still have a lot of things to study. Yeah, so I think as political communication scholars, our uh, lives perhaps are going to be a bit more boring now when Trump is almost gone. But maybe that's not uh, a very bad thing. Yeah, I agree. Thanks. Thanks very much. This podcast is brought to you by the Smart Family Institute in Mount Scopus Radio Studios. Our producer and editor is Tzlil Sharon with the help of the studio's director, Moti Barakan. Special thanks to Ori Drol, the coordinator of the Smart Family Institute of Communication at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and to Idana Mit Danchi, which is me, for recording the opener and closer. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Smart Podcast. You can find us at the Smart Institute website or wherever you find your podcasts. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Until the next episode, stay home and stay smart.